This is Ryan Bell. Not only don't I listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore, but just on principle, I would never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the show, episode 378 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your frequent host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, actually sitting right next to me, the lovely and talented co-host for almost 400 numbered episodes who is on her phone and just can't put it down in the midst of my introduction. There it goes. Brittany Page. I'm actually finding something that's mm. important for the show mm-hmm. yes. that, that will be relevant later. I, and I'm just trying ooh, to pull yes. up all my links so that they're all ready to go. So yes. you don't have to wait for me at a later time. Yes. It's actually Why me. would I expect you to do your show prep prior to the show and the mic going hot? Listen, I did. I have like 20 mm-hmm. tabs open right now and I have something open on my phone and I need to open a there second thing on my phone. There's one more thing. That there you is. Didn't there's do. one more thing because you're the one who just runs your mouth on the show and I'm the one who actually needs to have some facts. So I have some fact check windows open to make sure that what I'm saying is facts. That is a hilarious charge that that's all I do on the show is run my mouth. Anyway. Also joining us, <laughs> the equally lovely and talented. Ivy League educated lawyer, Drew Levine. Hi, guys. You know, I really wanted to jump in there and uh, come to Brittany's defense. Oh, thank you. I really did. But you, no one needs your defense you, except for the guilty and other other client types. No, my, my <laughs> clients are all innocent. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember you scolded me last time for speaking That's out right. of at the beginning all of a show. All pie holes will be closed until they are announced. What's important, though, is that you were on my side yeah during that yeah, yeah i appreciate I mean, that. that's the Je- least important aspect jesse freaking like interrupt he stopped everything to make coffee <laughs> right before we started the show so i i think Brittany's entitled to a little bit of leeway there we in go. getting in hey, getting one of her facts together before right. the show commences that is you, right. your boy needed coffee and when the host who controls the tempo and the energy of the goddamn show needs coffee he needs some coffee it's gonna be an angry show so we got some some housekeeping we do. To get out of the way. I did mention just moments ago that Brittany is not sitting across from me. Yes. She's sitting kind of next to me. Now, yeah. now we're facing, so yeah. it's, it's different. Yeah. And Drew is across from me. Yes. We are no longer, we no longer have a home studio. We no longer have to ask future congressmen and women to come <laughs> to our home to do in-studio interviews. Yes. This is, we're going to talk about it now. One of the reasons Drew is on the show, also because our world is crumbling around us, the republic that we know as the United States. Indeed. And the way we cope is together. That's right. So we have been teasing it. If you hear any slight echo or audio differences in the show, that's because we are, we are in office space now Yeah. for the business that we have endeavored together to start called Statesmith. Mm. Good times. Statesmith.com. It's 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 definitely an added benefit that now we can invite like some of the worst trolls onto the show. Right, because now we have an office yeah, building. And you we can you lock won't have the doors. Exactly. And- <laughs> yeah, you won't have to worry about them sneaking in at night. 
<laughs> now the only concern would be the following home. That's true. That's right. We'll just have to... Uh, Reality well, we'll check, just, guys. Reality we'll, check. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I'm pretty good at dodging and weaving around freeway, highway lanes. Okay, so. good. Good. Yeah, it is It is a few miles. So anyway... I can lose a tail. So we do We do have now... We have a studio space, um, and I want to talk about what the project is going to be. Drew came to me a few months ago, and we, we had a few conversations, and it, it all kind of culminated into what has now become... Statesmith.com. You're going to hear that all the time, and that's okay. It's it, it is it's an exciting thing for us. First, I want to say this show is not going away. I doubt it. I doubt it. With Dollamore is 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 a staple. It is a a constant in your life forever. Uh, the frequency with which you're not going to miss. It, it, we're still going to be twice a week. We just have now a dedicated place where Brittany and I can do this. Yes. Um. And it's actually maybe going to benefit the scheduling of the show. Very much so. Because we are going to be here at the, at the office. Yeah, especially, the especially with the live streams because the webcam will just be set up and nothing has to be moved around. It'll just be the way that it is. That's right. Yeah. So what Statesmith is, Drew, is uh, I know you know, but I, I said your name <laughs> so you were staring at Brittany still. You want uh, me to look at you while you're talking. Statesmith, I need the attention. I need the adulation. So... Statesmith.com. It is state, like a, like a state of the union, Smith, like that dumb movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Mr. and Mrs. Oh, Smith. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Statesmith.com. And now it's going to be kind of a, a hybrid between a an opinion blog site, but it'll be more professional and a little higher end than that. And a news reporting site. You think that's an apt way? Yeah, I think that's that's probably the way that I sort of uh, the way that I sort of conceive it is that it's going to be something of like an information hub, mm-hmm. which is going to host all a lot of different forms of information. But the bread and butter of it is going to be our lengthy think pieces that that we share uh, and we have contributors for, as well as frequent sort of news blurbs yeah that that just sort of give people like short digestible ways of processing some of the most important stories of the day yeah kind of here's what you need to know here's how it impacts you here are your takeaways right really congealed from a trusted viewpoint from from a a respectable vantage point obviously there will be partisan ideas there but the same way you've come to trust hopefully unless you're hate listening um, the same way you've come to trust Brittany and I and, and Drew, a frequent guest on the show, I, I would expect that that would be the we, we're going to provide the same level of of objectivity right. to, to our analysis of the news and a reporting when we when we report to. Right. And I know it's not a really remarkable thing to say, but it's it's still pretty obvious that there's a lot of uh, dis, you know misleading information out there being shared yeah. in, in social media. Uh, there are a lot of articles that I think are reporting accurate facts, but spin it in such a way that, you know, leads to really unintuitive interpretations. Sure. And so we're going to really endeavor to try to provide what I think are very defensible interpretations of the news. Yes. And also have people writing that do that. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We, we're we're collecting a stable of writers. We've right now we've kind of got our core set. Um, it, it's an exciting time. 
it's going the website is going to obviously be Google AdSense driven, so it's going to be click driven on ads. Um, but we're not going to let that taint, if you will, or sully or influence how we title articles. We're not going to play the game that many do. Right. So I, I'm asking you now, I usually say I encourage you to do something, but I'm asking you as a favor to me and, and the rest at the table here, we have a Facebook page. It's Statesmith, it's just Statesmith. There's a logo <laughs> with a quill stuck in an anvil with stars around it. Go like that Facebook page. That's yes. going to be, there's also a Twitter account, State Smith News. If, if you're on Twitter, go follow there. That's going to be the chief way that the, the, the articles that we write and that we provide are disseminated. And this is also going to be one other fixture way to support this show. And uh, really, the work we're doing, it is an expansive furtherance of moving the conversation forward on a grander scale. And we we are very excited. Absolutely. Did, you, a, did you talk about Statesmith TV? Well, th- well, there's several aspects to it. I didn't want to... Uh, it's not that it's bad that we're, talk- we're talking about it, but it's about a month away. The other aspect, thank you, Brittany, is B- Drew and I are going to start in about a month or so a daily... I hesitate to use the word, but a Young Turks ish type of news program (laughs) video news program that's right a video news program that's going to be featured through my youtube channel a daily half hour at least to start a a, a half hour news program we we got our little anchor desk today not little our our anchor desk today and we are we're in a big space here yeah so so we have the room now Mm -hmm. to start developing video content whether it be one-on-one interviews or you know more um, similar things to what I do on YouTube now, but there is a whole panoply of of um, myriad choices before us, and we are going to be uh, hitting the streets in about a month. Right, and you know we're we're just three people here, you know, sitting here, and, and you know none of us have had long storied careers in in news broadcasting or anything like that. So mm-hmm. so we're we're sort of bootstrapping and we're going to make some mistakes along the way and we're going to make some choices that may not be as intuitive or as as uh you know may not uh be as satisfying. So uh be patient with us, um help us, you know, build this thing because what we think, you know, what we think the value here is is that we're offering perspectives and we're offering ways of thinking about things that we think are are uh people enjoy and people value. And so uh, we would love your feedback. We would love, you know, some suggestions and ideas about how to make this a better presentation so that we can give you what it is that we intend to give you. And when you do go follow the State Smith Facebook page, uh, please, again, not encourage. It is encouragement, but I am I am really hat in hand. Share those articles that resonate with you, with your your social network, because that's really going to be the only way that we grow is through word of mouth. And uh, we're we've we've put a lot of thought into this, a lot of effort, a lot of sweat, and um, we are again very excited about it. So we would I would I would uh, ask you to to help us in that way. So go follow the Facebook page, State Smith. Go follow the Twitter, you know, us on Twitter if that's what you do, State Smith News, and uh, 
join us on this journey. We appreciate you guys. Yeah, and one more thing: as, as it stands, uh, we haven't uh, we haven't like fully launched the website and started updating it daily. Uh, we intend to do that next week. So, that is right. Yes. Mon- Monday's our official launch. We, we, we wanted to get you guys uh, an opportunity to get in on the ground floor. Yeah. You, <laughs> be the early adopters. <laughs> that is right. Very exciting. All right. Before we move on, should we go to voicemails and email first? Yes. Or Yeah, that's what we should do. Because yes. we have the other stuff, but we'll uh, we'll get to that. Don't forget how the show is done, I, I sir. No, because we have the... Why are you... Yeah, we're going to do that after All right. what, how the show goes. Let's get to a voicemail first off. Hello, Jesse and Britt. Britt, it's Kelly from New England. I had a much longer call planned, but alas, graduate school is a cruel mistress. But I have a quick question. A few episodes back, you were talking about uh, Brittany's background. Um, Megan Kelly recently had an interview with uh, like the leading anti uh, white supremacist who was a former neo-Nazi, and he now kind of deprograms neo-Nazis. And I was wondering what Britney's impressions were of, of what he was saying about how the dog whistle works, especially with what he said about Pat Buchanan and how they are functioning. And Megyn Kelly's, what I believe to be, same shock. You mean those things I was saying on Fox News were dog whistles? Never. Land of Goshen. I couldn't know that. I'm just such a pretty lady. Um, so I'm wondering what you think of that. Um, love the show, Britt Britt, as usual, you are in fact the best part. Love the show, Brittany's the best part. Bye. I appreciate that nickname. Britt Britt. Britt Britt, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, so she's referring to um, Christian Piccolini. Pic- Piccolini? Is yeah, I think thing? so, yeah. Um, he's he- also been on with uh, Sarah Silverman on I Love You America. Yeah, he's been, he's been making the rounds talking about his work, um, as Kelly put it deprogramming nazis <laughs> yeah he's a former white supremacist himself and like he has pictures of himself outside of like dachau doing nazi salutes and shit i mean he's he was a bad fucking character yeah he was he was in it and he was on megan kelly and and they were talking about uh dog whistles particularly as it relates to the trump administration and the things that he says and um he talked about you know words like globalist or globalism and uh, liberal media and how a lot of this to white supremacists is they they hear like Jews, right? Jews control the media. Um, We always talk about white genocide in terms of white supremacists caring about that. We're thinking it's a thing. Yeah, let me clear that up. We talk about them talking about it. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, Or globalism, like it's everything is a Jewish conspiracy, right? And I don't think I've ever talked about this, but in in my household, my dad had us watch the movie They Live. Have you seen They Live with Roddy Piper? Roddy Roddy Piper. Oh, is that the when there's aliens sort and of they've like got yes. the glasses? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to wear the sunglasses to see the aliens. Apparently, uh, a big hit with the Nazis, Drew. Yeah, don't give it away. So, all right, we we watched this movie when I was a kid, like a lot. Um, it was like in rotation. I don't know if it was like in rotation, but it was used as an educational tool in my household. Um, because my dad said that basically the aliens represented Jews. And in They Live, you see that the aliens are on the billboards, they are the journalists on the TV, and we were taught that this is how 
the Jews were, that the Jews run the media, they are on the billboards, they are indoctrinating you with these messages, and um, we were instructed to... part of the movie is he has these glasses. Right, and only he can see them. Yeah, that's a key part of what we're talking about. Yeah, and so the difficulty is identifying those characters. And so when you hear the dog whistles... Let's further explain it. He has a pair of glasses, and like he's in a 7-Eleven, and... He puts on the glasses and all of these normal folks in in the store turn into like mo- monster aliens before his eyes, but only when he has the glasses on. I mean, I didn't want to spoil such a spectacular movie. Um, <laughs> well, I guarantee you all your listeners are on Wikipedia right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mean They Live isn't a popular movie? Um, it's starring, starring. Roddy Roddy Piper. Yeah, so, so when you are indoctrinated with these messages, you start to hear certain things on TV or that Donald Trump says during the State of the Union, and you <laughs> you hear those things, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a dog whistle. That message is directed to the David Dukes of the world, to the Richard Spencers of the world. I don't know if Megyn Kelly didn't know that things like that were being said on her channel, Um if she didn't know, now she knows, probably. Well, who said recently something about like, uh, well, uh, I don't know if it's a dog whistle. I don't know what that means. Well, that's why it's a dog whistle. The fact that no one else really gets it. All the normal non-racist people, they don't hear it that way. But because the racists have their code words, well, they, obscure they it. hear it. They obscure it just enough yeah. to where it can have a double meaning. It can mean this, and it can also mean this. Well, like globalist on its face isn't, a, you know, the globalist economy. There's these the globalist movement. But it's also followed now very frequently by globalist cock. Right. The, you know, that's the way Steve Bannon would use it. That's the way Jared uh, Taylor would use it. That's the way Richard Spencer would use it. And that's why it's a dog whistle. It has a more conventional use. Mm-hmm. Well, right. I mean, so Megan Kelly's not a dummy, right? She's, you know, she's a lawyer. She went to law school. She is. Hence, she's not a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you, come on. You... <laughs> categorically. <laughs> we are cat- that one off. We are categorically not dummies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, you got to, you know, you got to take the LSAT, do well, pass the bar. It's, you know, it's stuff you got. You got to be a logical person, at least yeah. to some degree, to be a lawyer. Uh, and I'm sure given her, not only her education, but also her profession as a quote unquote journalist, that she's familiar with Lee Atwater's famous interview where he basically spilled the beans about how Southern strategy how, and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, about how dog whistles were being routinely used in political commentary in order to, to get people to think about other things while, you know, to think about like their racial resentment or whatever. Yeah. Sure. While, while cloaking it in, in terms that were not on their face objectionable. Uh, I just, I can't think that she was really all that surprised by that. And that, she, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are some people that, use those terms in good faith, not knowing what they're doing. But I just, I can't imagine that Megyn Kelly was just completely unaware of, of yeah, that I think phenomenon. It's, it's, I think it's likely. Yeah, I, I maybe she was, t- I didn't watch the whole interview and I don't remember because it was a while ago, but I think maybe she was saying that she never used them or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know if she was defending the network as a whole, which she does tend to do still. I'm not sure why. But um, even Bill Crystal, the editor at Weekly Standard, a conservative 
a never Trumper, an anti-Trump person, but still a conservative. Also a Jew. Jewish, yeah. He did an interview about Tucker Carlson and said that he doesn't know if he's racist exactly, but that it's he's showing some ethno-nationalism. Yeah, for yeah. sure he is. And that the things that he's saying are problematic and that he's kind of stoking that fire as well. I don't, I don't uh, disagree with that. And I don't disagree with you, Drew, that she wouldn't... The, the, my only question, I wouldn't charge, and I have no love or hate for Megyn Kelly. Um, I don't know that she would have made a choice that this is, I'm going to be saying this as a dog whistle. She might be using the phraseology because she hears it all the fucking time amongst her colleagues on Fox News. But I think there might, I think there's an argument to be made that there was lack of intent. Yeah, it's possible. To speak I mean, your language. Yeah. And she, I mean, she may have been well aware of the phenomenon and just not have really thought about it in terms of how sure. she's contributing yeah. to it. I mean, that's possible too. Yeah. Well, I also think that like her, you know, Santa was white, Jesus was white, all that bullshit is, uh, it, I think it it's either stupid or it's sinister. I don't think there's any, any middle ground to be had there. And, you know, that's pretty extreme, but that's the way I feel about it. Yeah. I tend to think that she's actually just really stupid on those issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait that, a minute. I thought she was really... Smart because she's a lawyer. Well, <laughs> but she has um, to be really. All right, smart. moving on. We, well, seriously, I, we we do have to move on. I do, but let me just make a quick joke about that <laughs> defeats the purpose of moving on. Let when me you make have a to quick do something joke. Really quick. I, do, I do need to just observe that you know a Jew came to you to to set up this statesmith news company. So that's you know, right. There, there may be some. There may there may be. Some I love the Jews. <laughs> Wait a minute. I also noticed, by the way. Now we're going to continue it. Fucking Drew. Um, when I always say Jew because I don't have like a, oh yeah, he's a Jew. And you said, oh, he's Jewish. It's, I mean, it's interchangeable. Yeah, I know. But well, some people, when they say Jew. I think Jew, you are supposed to say Jewish though. Isn't no, that? No, no. no. I mean, it, we're, we're Jews. It, it, it's fine. The Jew thing. There's comedians who talk about it. Like, oh, maybe you should dial back the, don't hit that Jew so hard. The Jew, he's a Jew. And I never... But for me, it's any, it's just another religion. I don't. I I even I have to kind of I struggle to identify it as like a culture or an ethnicity when it's really. I just look at it like a religion. It's not. A, I mean, it's more than that. But it's, I know. I know. Yeah. I know it is. I'm yeah. saying that's my that's my caveat is because I just do view it as a religion. So all right. Well, with know. respect to the Jew slash Jewish thing. I don't. I think they're interchangeable. Like we refer to ourselves as Jews, and that's yeah. that's not a problem. But you know, you can say the word. There's lots of there's lots of things that people in the culture refer to themselves as yeah. that aren't okay for others to refer to. Okay, them as. sure. Yeah, but <laughs> calling us Jews is fine. Um, but I do think that there is like there's a way to like sort of deliver that word in a certain oh, tone. Oh yeah, like yeah. Kayla Moore when she was talking right. about yeah, yeah. The lawyer, you don't hit it so hard. Jew. Our lawyer is a Jew, just all fucking hateful. Okay, but how did I say it? You're fine. Okay, you're paranoid about it because of your background. I'm not paranoid about it because of my background. I'm just sensitive to it because of my background. <laughs> all right. I used a Jesse word. You used a you know more reasonable Britney word. You used a paranoid word, and I used a normal rational person word. All right. Mm. Moving on. Um, we have a a text to the voicemail number. Yes, and it is quite lengthy, so hang in there. But worth every word. Yeah. The, 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 the message here is unbelievable, and we want to. We we definitely didn't want to pass on it. 
Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I list Andrew. I'll throw Drew, Drew in there since he's here. I listen to... Every- Did he write that? No, I... Then don't include it. He doesn't want to say hi to Drew. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> daggers. Hi. I'm sending daggers your way. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I listen to every episode of I Doubt It and always look forward to the next one. I have especially appreciated your commentary on the hashtag MeToo movement is you have been compassionate and supportive to people finding their own voice. Recently, I shared my own story on social media, thanks partly to the support you showed on your podcast. Here's my post. I am a 32-year-old man. When I was eight years old, I was sexually abused on multiple occasions by a man I knew in a public bathroom at a place that should have been safe. This man was supposedly a friend of the family. Here is where it gets fuzzy. I only have clips and phrases of actual memories. I am not entirely sure who it was that attacked me. I'm pretty sure, but not positive. Most of my memories come in flashbacks where I basically relive a part of the event or in the form of body memories, which are a bit like phantom attacks. This was not the only time I was abused, but it was probably the most damaging. Here is what I remember. I focused on the wall scroll, which was a thin, stra- a thin strip of patterned wallpaper that circled the bathroom horizontally. It was a pond scene with reeds and geese. At one point, I was facing away from my attacker with his hands around me. At one point, I was facing toward him. I remember some very specific, unpleasant smells, tastes, and feels. I was not, I was only eight years old. I was more ashamed than I had ever been in my life. I was ashamed for letting it happen. I was very ashamed for the physical feelings I experienced and believed myself to be complicit in my abuse. I was very confused. I turned, I turned inward, protecting and nurturing the shame, even as I barricaded the memories of what caused it. I believed I was broken, tainted, worthless, and filthy, and my choices in life reflected that belief. Some brief statistics. About one in six boys and one in four girls have been sexually abused in an encounter by the age of 18. This is according to multiple sources, but I'm citing the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. Many people react to these numbers with disbelief, but the fact is that these may be low estimates due to the secretive nature of this problem. So for 20 years, I buried my shame and my grief. I had developed PTSD and had become dissociative, which is a fascinating phenomenon of the brain getting into the habit of doping itself to deal with trauma. For me, it was, and still sometimes is, like watching a movie of my life in first-person perspective but never really feeling connected to the world around me. I was unaware, literally getting lost in what should have been familiar surroundings. I was a klutz, a space case, not really with it. Considering I already felt dirty, you can imagine what this did for my self-esteem. I packed on the pounds in my teenage years, overeating because I literally could not feel my body responding due to dissociation. I developed severe depression. Things did not improve when I became an adult. I did nothing to care for the environment around me, and quite frankly, I allowed myself to live in filth. Still, the filth on the outside was nothing compared to how I felt on the inside. Keep in mind, I hadn't yet admitted that I had been abused. I just believed that I was fundamentally broken. With the help of therapy and the support of my amazing wife and some of the best friends a person could ask for, I have been recovering from what happened to me. I have grieved gone through horrible flashbacks and many sleepless nights, but I have transitioned from victim to survivor. My goal is to be an advocate for people like me who have gone through the sort of thing. 
With that in mind, I would like to address some of the myths and facts that I have learned in the last five years. There is a belief that I have run into that men who abuse boys are gay. When I was trying to figure out early on who had hurt me, I mentioned the possibility that it was a specific male relative to someone I was close to. Her response was, no, because he isn't homosexual. Let me be very clear. Men who abuse boys are not homosexuals. They are child molesters. Also, boys who are sexually abused by men are not homosexuals. They are children and the victims of abuse. Another one that I have personally encountered is the belief that boys who are abused are likely to become abusers. This belief is false, damaging, and discourages survivors of abuse from coming forward with their stories. This usually stems from the misrepresentation of the fact that most abusers were victims themselves. However, that is not a one-to-one ratio of abusers to victims. Many, if not most, perpetrators of abuse abuse multiple children over time. There is a risk to putting too much emphasis on stranger danger. The man who I believe hurt me was a family friend. A children is nearly 10 times more likely to be abused by a friend, an acquaintance, or a family member than by a stranger. I was not believed by everyone when I finally came out as a survivor of abuse five years ago. I was confused about my masculinity. I doubted my sanity and devalued my self-worth. I doubted my own story and sometimes still do, but I'm getting better. I am rebuilding my image of myself. I have a tremendous support system that I absolutely rely on, and I try and thank God regularly for the help I have received. If you are a survivor of abuse, sexual or otherwise, I say this. What happened to you was shameful. But the shame you are feeling does not belong to you. It was a burden shifted to you. You don't deserve it. You are not responsible for it. And it can be shaken off. As hard as that can be to believe, then you feel crushed under it. I won't hide what happened to me as if I am embarrassed by it. I am not responsible for the actions of a fully grown man when I was a child. Therefore, I am not embarrassed or ashamed. Most days, I even believe that. If you have questions about this topic, feel free to ask me. I want to do my part in bringing this topic out of the darkness and into broad daylight. This is a problem that won't get any better by ignoring it. Love to you all, Ben. Wow. Well, thank you, Ben. Um, that is powerful, very important, and I think there are some aspects there that we we definitely want to want to address. Uh, first of all, let me start off since I'm running my mouth now. Who are these people? Who are these parents? Who are these adults who do not believe children when they come to them with allegations that they have been abused, that they have been molested, that they have been used sexually? Who the fuck are these parents that eschew those, oh, yeah, no, that's, that must be something else. You must be mistaken. Oh, you feel like the doctor was doing something sexual? You just don't understand what a medical procedure is. You don't know the difference between a medical procedure and sexual abuse. Who are these adults who are shifting, who are 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 are, are gaslighting children, making them feel um, like they're wrong or they were mistaken? It's criminal. It's disgusting. Um, so Ben, I just, um, I was tearing up as Brittany was reading that because a lot of what you shared, uh, and I, you know, I haven't really talked about this too much 
um, in this context, but a lot of what you shared reminds me of, of something I experienced when I was 14 years old. And it was uh, a lot of the things that you said also uh, made me think about some of the ways that I coped with it. And, you know, I also became, uh, you know, dissociative. I also uh, became depressed. Um, I also uh, was, you know, be, was pretty awkward growing up and didn't really get my bearings until deep into adulthood. And even now, you know, I still uh, find myself struggling with uh, certain types of addiction um, that I think I'm, I sort of do in order to, to uh, continue to dissociate. So almost everything that you said is something that, I, that resonated with me. And I just wanted to, to thank you for, for sharing that because uh, that was helpful for me to, to think about my own life as well. Yeah, I think, I think it was powerful, particularly the part about um, shifting the burden. Yeah. And yeah. that, you know, someone, an adult who has a severe problem, mental, whatever else might be going on, um, did something that then shifted this burden to you that as a child you have to deal with. And then for the rest of your life, you find yourself dealing with. And I think that that's that's a good way to put it, that it's not it's not your burden, that it was kind of, you know, shoved off onto you to now deal with. It's amazing to me how much those types of experiences can cause us to feel guilt mm -hmm. when there's literally nothing we could have done to right. stop it. Right. And it just any, I mean, in, even deep into adulthood, we feel that way, even though we have come to a perfectly rational formation of how guilt works, mm -hmm. which is that you actually need to do something in order to feel guilty about something or you should. Right. Um, but this, I mean, it just always happens and you, you never know, like, and you, you never really know how that works until you experience it and you really think about it. But we do like we assign the guilt to ourselves and, you know, we we hide it and we try to sweep it under the rug and we try to to to, to keep it out of view from most of the people that we interact with in, in life. And it's it just it shouldn't have to be that way. And I'm grateful for this watershed Me Too moment that is giving us the space to sort of talk about our experiences in our past and and, and confront uh, really what this is about without feeling like we're going to be victimized or targeted for it. So thank you. Thank you so much, Ben, for sharing that. I also appreciated Ben's um, description of some of his PTSD symptoms. Um, I have experienced things like that as well because I was diagnosed with PTSD when I was 18. Um, I, I don't have, I mean, it's largely gone away. Um, I would say the only thing that still remains, I occasionally have a night terror, but mostly they're related to spiders now, which is a relief. Um, <laughs> so, um, but the replaying of things, kind of feeling like it's your life as a movie, um, th those things, um, I think people can benefit from hearing other people talk about those experiences because uh, it's, you know, you don't hear people talking about these yeah, things. Sure. And a lot of times it's, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. You know, we all have to act like everything is so great when sometimes things aren't great. And we have experienced things that we want to talk about that we have processed, we have dealt with, we're okay with, um, and we want to talk about them now. Um, or even we're still, we're still processing them. We're still dealing with them and we want to talk about them anyway. Um, and I think that it's really positive. So thank you, Ben, for sharing. And thank you for feeling as though uh, we somehow contributed to you um, feeling safe enough to do that. That's really kind of you to say. All right. Um, let's move on. Support for I Doubt It With Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you. 
by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Jaxka. Jaxka. Um, upped her pledge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very, very good. Very nice. The Patreon is still something we're going to promote. We appreciate all of your support, all of your loyalty and dedication to the show, keeping so the much. lights on. Yes. It is awesome. If you're not ready to do the Patreon thing, of course, there's always Amazon, dollamore.com slash Amazon, or you can go buy a dollamore.com mug on the, now that we have all the space, we're going to show what the, the totes look like on the live stream yeah. on Sunday. Uh, but there's also some statesmith stuff there mm-hmm. that is for sale at zero profit. So if you want to support statesmiths through promotion, yes, you can buy yourself a statesmith mug or a statesmith uh, t-shirt. Just to toss it out there. Yeah. Get them while they're hot because <laughs> that, uh, that zero profit <laughs> thing probably isn't going to last forever. That is right. <laughs> all right. Again, we appreciate you guys so much and we love you and all of your support. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Oh my god. <laughs> the world is crashing down all around us more now than ever. What a great way to come into it. Donald Trump gave his first State of the Union address on Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday evening. Tuesday. <laughs> And it was uh, lackluster. Listen, let, let me... How dare you? It was me, so great. Let me bitch about something, and then we're going to move on to the one topic I want to talk about relative to his speech. And that, that is... Uh, can we fucking dispense with all of these idiots talking about how presidential he is when he reads from prepared remarks? That he doesn't probably prepare himself. Yeah, of course not. Wait, listen, a normal president delivers a speech or gives a speech... Donald Trump reads a speech and not even effectively reads a speech. Speaking of dog whistles, should have just launched in with that. It's kind of a segue. Go ahead, Drew. I, well, see you, I mean, you know that it's not his own speech because he was clapping. Yeah, yeah, after, yeah, after, clapping. Every, after everything that he said, because I mean, he, he probably wouldn't do that for his own words. So he was admiring Stephen Miller's mm. words. Oh, that's some great stuff, Stephen. Yeah, good job. Good job, good job Steve. buddy. Uh, that's his dog whistle to Steve, <laughs> Stephen Miller. So th- there is one part of the speech that I want to talk about that I think is dangerous and it was overlooked. I did a video about it. I think Slate wrote an article about it. It is a moment in the speech where he's talking about veterans and how we've helped veterans and how we've culled 1,500 or so federal employees from the, the, the roles of employment because they weren't getting the job done. Do you want me to read the quote? No, but I've got a clip. Okay. But then he pivots to what I want to talk about. But I want to give the context that he's not just, he's couching this as some kind of a, oh, we got to get behind our veterans and get rid of these people who are bad employees not treating our veterans well. That's the way he he postures the ultimate thing that he says, which is fucking terrifying. Young patriots like Preston teach all of us about our civic duty as Americans. And I met Preston a little while ago, 
And he is something very special that I can tell you. Great future. Thank you very much for all you've done, Preston. Thank you very much. Uh, Preston. Preston's <laughs> reverence for those who have served our nation reminds us of why we salute our flag, why we put our hands on our hearts for the Pledge of Allegiance, and why we proudly stand for the national anthem. Uh. All right, I'm pausing it. God damn it. I didn't want to do it, but I have to. <laughs> we just had this conversation. I didn't even know we we're going to get here. Can we, can we stop with the goddamn Pledge of Allegiance? Can we stop with pledging allegiance to an ad- inanimate object? I understand it's to the republic for which it stands, but you're pledging allegiance to a piece of cloth with colored pattern. Well, I think that's why like Jehovah's Witnesses will never pledge allegiance. Yeah, good because, on them. Because it's idolatry. <laughs> I mean, there are other wacky shit they do, I guess. They, I mean, but they make a defensible argument that pledging allegiance to a flag is idolatry uh, under a, you know, sort of like a Christian conception. Well, until until one of the popes, one of the early, early popes, even uh, depictions of Jesus were idolatry. Yeah. Muslims are truer to the Bible about idolatry than Christians are. Yeah. Because they don't want any, you know, like the Muhammad drawings and shit. That's idolatry. So can we just fucking stop it with the goddamn pledge? Like, we were at the Democratic uh, Candidate Forum. Yeah. And they made like 800 people stand up and say the pledge. And I stood, but I'm not fucking saying the pledge. I served my country in the Marine Corps proudly. I love America. I'll wear a flag pin. I'm fine with that. But I'm not going to pledge allegiance to a fucking inanimate object. All right. (laughs) Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Jesse? You don't want to know how I really feel, Drew. Listen to these morons. Wow, that's quite the rousing applause. What if Obama said that? <laughs> you hear him clapping? Yes, I do. What if you, uh, you lies? Yeah. Throw it in there. Americans love their country. Mm. And they deserve a government that shows them <laughs> the same love and loyalty in return. For the last year, we have sought to restore the bonds of trust between our citizens and their government. Working with the Senate, we are appointing judges who will interpret the Constitution as written, including a great new Supreme Court justice and more circuit court judges than any new administration in the history of our country. We are totally defending our Second Amendment and have taken historic actions to protect religious liberty. He did ad lib here. Unless he has the most idiotic speechwriter in the we're totally defending the Second Amendment. As well, opposed to what partially defending 
the word totally wasn't in there. Well, Stephen Miller did write it, so he could be saying things like that. We're too. totally defending it, man. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't put it past him. Come on, bro. Yeah. Ugh. And then also the religious liberty thing, which is allowing pastors to violate the agreement that they made with the government when they became a 501c3, a charitable organization, that you don't make political speech from the organization. Yeah, and the 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 part that I took most exception to in that little segment was when he talked about we're appointing judges that will interpret the Constitution as written. Right. There, there has literally never been a federal judge that did not interpret the Constitution as written. If you ever read like judicial opinions, they don't fabricate right. parts of the Constitution and say, "Oh, this is what we're relying on." They. Every single constitutional decision is grounded in the text of it. Right, right. Well, it's not, well, we're going to base this on Article 1, Section 275. There is no Article 1, right. Section 245. Well, it's just, I mean, it's it, it infuriates me because it, the suggestion is that uh, judges that don't conform to the conservative way of thinking about the Constitution are being extra constitutional that they're adding shit that's not in there which isn't true everything yeah. that like everything that has ever come down has been grounded in it and judges have been from mat- liberal and conservative yeah, justices yeah, exactly and they and judges are meticulous about making sure that they can justify their opinions in the constitution and we come down differently on how to interpret this this damn thing but everybody is is uh everybody's interpreting it with fealty to what is actually written in there and i i take offense to that it's like the longer the applause break the more ridiculous thing that he said we are serving our brave veterans including giving our veterans choice in their health care decisions Clapping for himself. <laughs> mm. I had to fuck with the audio to make it where it's even listenable because his claps are... they It's a giant spike in the audio. A little sausage for you guys. Last year, Congress also passed, and I signed, the landmark VA Accountability Act. Here we go. This is where... On its face, it doesn't sound bad. Since its Dangerous passage, language. my administration has already removed more than 1,500 VA employees who failed to give our veterans the care they deserve. And we are hiring talented people who love our vets as much as we do. Clap, 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 clap. I did good. <laughs> and I will not stop until our veterans are properly taken care of, which has been my promise to them from the very beginning of this great journey. Is Mexico going to pay for that wall? That was another promise. All Americans <laughs> deserve accountability mm. and respect. And that's what we are giving to our wonderful heroes, our veterans. Thank you. 
Thank you. I love how he sort of lingers on words that he doesn't use very often, like yeah. accountability. Yeah, yeah. Tonight, I call on Congress to empower every cabinet secretary with the authority to reward good workers and to remove federal employees who undermine the public trust or fail the American people. Whoa. That is a Enthusiastic problem. yes from the audience. He's suggesting that we empower the cabinet who were employed by Donald Trump, appointed by Donald Trump, work for Donald Trump, are loyal to Donald Trump, to fire any federal employee that doesn't have the best interest of the nation or besmirches, I don't know, what was the language he used? Um, to remove any federal employees who undermine the public trust or fail the American people. Undermine the public trust. That is a nebulous term. What does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means in his fucking head. Anybody who goes against my agenda, we already know that Donald Trump believes he needs loyalty to him before loyalty to the United States. Or maybe that they're one and the same. Being charitable, I think one could make an argument that Donald Trump believes if you're loyal to him, the man, that you're loyal to the United States. Well, you guys sort of understand the context of what he's talking about. So federal employees enjoy Fifth Amendment due process rights to their employment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, so federal employment is considered a, a property right under the Constitution. And so it, there's a long due process, proce, uh, due process uh, song and dance that you have to go through before you can actually file, uh, fire a federal employee. What he's talking about is sort of rewriting the rules of the Constitution as to how they apply to federal employees. And he, and Summarily dismissed. Yeah, and he's talking about it casually, even though this has been built up over decades of constitutional jurisprudence mm-hmm. because of how dangerous it is. Right. So, so let, me, let me say this. When your troll uncle says, well, he's clearly talking about the VA, he's not talking about all federal employees. Well, if that's the case, why did he say, give power to my cabinet secretaries and not just the Department of Veterans Affairs? He means all of it, which means investigators, prosecutors, Robert Mueller is a federal employee. Anybody who crosses Donald Trump Anybody who investigates Donald Trump can be considered undermining the public trust. Well, and so he's asking Congress to for the authority to end the rule of law. And this is hardly even a headline. Well, and yes. it, I mean, people aren't even paying attention. And Congress can't do it. Like he would have to amend the Constitution in order to change the way this works. But he's like sitting up there robotically saying these authoritarian things it's, and yeah. no one cares. That's my problem. With <laughs> it's this. just going under the radar well, and look, everyone is standing up clapping for it. Like, yeah. And someone screamed out. Yeah, it is unlikely. Just like I mean, that. it is very unlikely this would happen, that this could happen, that they would even endeavor to do it. My problem is, is where the fuck is the news media? Where are the experts? Why is it up to me, the idiot, to be screaming <laughs> about this on YouTube and Facebook yeah. and the podcast? This is problematic language. Well, I this just, is authoritarianism and, at its finest. This is how it starts. Yeah, and it's just so ironic that just, you know, two minutes ago he was talking about interpreting the Constitution and yes. respecting the Constitution. And then he goes on to talk about this proposal that is completely unconstitutional. Right. It's it's maddening that 
these Republican idiots are cheering for this. Yeah, and I think he just understands, well, Stephen Miller understands. Um, <laughs> President Stephen Miller. That his base doesn't care or doesn't know, or maybe people aren't going to listen. What minute mark was this into the State of the Union? No one cares at that point. Um, cause it's- 40, 45 minutes. It was at 9.34. PM. Yeah, so it was already difficult to stay pay attention for that long. Um, so you know, people had hoped that the Republican Party would kind of keep him in check, right? But the degree to which they were applauding him and standing up and praising yeah. everything that he was saying was very concerning. They are just going along with everything that he's saying, which is how it happens. Yeah, it's not all of us. Rarely is it a coup that just happens, and all of a sudden you live under authoritarian rule. It's it's a frog in a fucking pot that is heated, and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and then the frog's dead. It's yeah. it's interesting because the Republicans are the ones who are like, we need our guns to take on the government when it starts overstepping, and right. you know. What about this? Are you concerned about this language? Because doesn't this sound like the government overstepping? Shut up, you fucking cuck! Yeah, I, I, I sort of obs- <laughs> sad face, Brittany. I have a defeated look on my face. How can you argue with that? <laughs> well, I sort of observed uh, shortly after Donald Trump got elected that those that had been screaming about resisting tyranny for so long may actually be the ones that are enforcing it. Yeah, of course, with their guns. Not a shocker. So. Great. Let's move on. I wanted to touch on that, but let's move on. Um, Big news. Lots of headway has been made in the Russia investigation, but let's start with the fact that Andrew McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI, has been forced out because of Donald Trump's unhinged attacks on him over the course of the last couple months. We begin tonight with the sudden departure of FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, the number two man at the FBI, and a frequent target of the president's criticism. McCabe stepped in temporarily when FBI Director James Comey was fired, defending the scope of the FBI's Russia investigation and defending James Comey, saying the rank and file had not lost confidence in him. Tonight, the White House answering questions. Did the president pressure the Justice Department in any way to push McCabe out? ABC senior justice correspondent Pierre Thomas leading us off. Tonight, the number two at the FBI stepping down following months of blistering attacks from President Trump. Today, the president ignoring questions about Andrew McCabe's early departure. Thank you. Thank you. Have, have you been told McCabe is resigning? Mr. President, have you been told that McCabe is resigning? Thank you. Thank you. It was McCabe who stepped in after President Trump fired FBI Director James Comey. A day after Comey was ousted, sources tell ABC News about a tense conversation between the president and McCabe. The president angry that McCabe allowed Comey to fly back from California after getting fired on an FBI plane, allegedly calling McCabe's wife a loser. The White House has not responded to multiple requests for comments from ABC News. Days later on Capitol Hill, McCabe defending his former boss, after the White House claimed that the rank-and-file had lost confidence in Comey. Is it accurate that the rank-and-file no longer supported Director Comey? No, sir, that is not accurate. But I can confidently tell you that the majority, the vast majority of FBI employees enjoyed a deep and positive connection to Director Comey. At the time, the White House also insisted that the FBI investigation into Russian meddling and any possible collusion was, quote, one of the smallest things the FBI is doing. 
McCabe was asked if that's true. Sir, we consider it to be a highly significant investigation. While today the president refused to comment on McCabe, in a series of tweets, he's let the world know about his disdain for McCabe. In July, taking aim at McCabe's wife's run for state senate in Virginia, a campaign that was finished when McCabe became deputy director. Why didn't A.G. Sessions replace acting FBI director Andrew McCabe, a Comey friend who was in charge of Clinton investigation, but got big dollars, 700000 for his wife's political run from Hillary Clinton? And in December, after McCabe let it be known he was retiring in March, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe is racing the clock to retire with full benefits. It was just last week ABC News confirmed what McCabe told colleagues. He says shortly after being named acting director, the president asked him, who did you vote for? Did you ask How much McCabe did you who he voted for? Did you ask him that? I don't think so. No, 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 no I don't think I did. You, don't? you did not. I don't know Possibly. what's the big deal with that. The news of McCabe's departure comes days after reports that President Trump wanted to fire special counsel Robert Mueller last June. The White House was pressed today. Is the president applying pressure on his attorney general and on the Justice Department to get rid of certain people. The only thing that the president has applied pressure to is to make sure we get this resolved so that you guys and everyone else can focus on the things that Americans actually care about. The president of the United States is a moron. Did you ask Andrew McCabe who he voted for? Mm, ah, I don't I don't think so. No, I don't. Ah. But what would be wrong if I did? He's just <laughs> he's a moron. Oh. He is a moron. And we can't address every single uh, lie, otherwise this will be a four-hour show. But Andrew McCabe didn't receive any money from Hillary Clinton. Andrew McCabe's wife is the one who received money, and it wasn't from Hillary Clinton. It was from a PAC controlled by Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia. He didn't... It just He's a liar. He has a, a weird, warped... He either doesn't understand or... He's intentionally more sinister, trying to mislead the 32% that love him. At best, at best, he's what you would say uh, is reckless with the truth. Yes. That he knows there's a risk there. He has to know that there's a risk of what he's saying is untrue, but he just goes ahead and takes it anyway. The other problem with this, the larger problem with this, is that he is systematically trying to cull the FBI and the ranks of the Justice Department from with anybody getting rid of anybody who might pose a problem for him relative to um, an unfettered investigation. Right. And it so he asked Comey for loyalty. He asked Andrew McCabe who he voted for, if he voted for him. And then it came out with Rod Rosenstein that he asked if he was on his team. Yes. So he keeps on asking all of these players um, that are connected to the investigation, basically, you going to help me out? Yeah, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what he's doing. Yeah. And it's just, it's coincidental that he just happens to be going after the agency that could might, or that might very well be the only thing in the way of an actual coup. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so... That happened. Now we're going to get on to all of the other things, not all of them, but the ones that have made the most uh, headway, including this. Now to some new developments in the Russia investigation. President Trump caught on that hot mic speaking about that classified GOP memo targeting the FBI. Our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, has those details from Washington. Good morning, Pierre. 
Amy, good morning. It certainly looks like that controversial House Intelligence report will soon be coming out. But there's also new evidence that the special counsel is locked in and won't be distracted. ABC News learning that the FBI director and deputy attorney general were both at the White House pleading with the White House chief of staff, John Kelly, to prevent the release of the Republican House Intelligence report before they had a chance to make sure it does not compromise classified information. Those pleas apparently ignored as the president's mind appeared made up at the State of the Union. Let's release the memo. But for now, the memo still waiting to be reviewed by White House lawyers as new evidence emerges that the special counsel continues to aggressively look into possible obstruction of justice. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Mark Corallo. Sources tell ABC News the special counsel's office in recent days has contacted the former spokesman for the Trump legal team, Mark Corallo, apparently wanting to know why he quit after only three months. Corallo left, sources say, in part because he was concerned that some in President Trump's camp were looking to unearth negative information about Bob Mueller, and Mueller is apparently interested in explosive accusations in Michael Wolff's new book, which portrays Corallo as concerned about the president's role in helping write a misleading statement aboard Air Force One about the nature of that infamous Trump Tower meeting between campaign officials and a group of Russians. Wolf writing Corallo seeing no good outcome, believed the meeting on Air Force One represented a likely obstruction of justice. In retrospect, I probably would have done things a little differently. The president's son, Don Jr., initially said the Trump Tower meeting was about Russian adoptions. But the meeting was actually set up for the Trump campaign to receive dirt on Hillary Clinton. Dirt allegedly developed by Vladimir Putin. White House officials say the Trump Tower meeting provided no meaningful exchange. But a critical question, what exactly did the president know about the Trump Tower meeting at the time? Did the president know the real reason the Trump Tower meeting was being set up when he helped write that misleading statement? George? Any more questions? The answer, Pierre, thanks very much. So this Corallo character is going to be a, a pivotal person. There is reporting now. I don't have any clips for it because it just broke late last night. I guess I could have gotten clips, but, you know, I'm a lazy turd. Mm. That Hope Hicks, the communications director, the out-of-her-league communications director for the White House, the 20-something communications director for the White House, for the presidency of the United States, she, in a meeting with Corallo, indicated that the emails... The emails from Don Jr. about the June 9th meeting in Trump Tower with Natalia Veselnitskaya, that they would not see the light of day. Oh, no. Quote, we'll never get out. We'll never get out. And that this concerned him. That is obstruction of justice any way you shake it. It, it, it concerned Corallo because he said that um, he believed that she could be contemplating obstructing justice. Yes. And, of course, her lawyer has come out and said that she never said that. Of course. Well, what else are they going to say? Well, saying it is not the obstruction. It just uh, it's evidence of intent to obstruct. Keeping the emails from seeing the light of day. Right. Right. She didn't know that Don Jr. was going to be forced to release them because the media got a hold of them. Right. So if if she did keep them to herself when asked for them, 
That's obstruction. Absolutely. Yeah. But the statement itself, I just, I mean, it's, it's a nuanced point, but the statement itself is not the obstruction. It's, it's the associated actions with fairness and charity, Drew versus reality, Jesse. And so now, good time. And so now Mueller's focusing on the cover story that was drafted on Air Force One about the explanation for the meeting. And Hope Hicks was by Trump's side when he was um, (laughs) concocting that story. That's exactly right. And she is interviewing with the, the special counsel with Robert Mueller, and it's not gonna it's not looking good for her. Because one, like I said, she's like a twenty six year old. She doesn't have the life experience and the understanding of the mechanisms of Washington, and she's right. going to be out of her fucking league with a room full of seasoned prosecutors and investigators who are gonna fucking chew her up. Yeah. So she's I mean, she's a little fish. She's I mean most of what she's doing here, it's probably criminal, but she probably had no idea. Well, she it, also doesn't want to do any time in jail. Yeah. So, and so <laughs> it's going to be so good. I, well, I, I, I trust that she's actually going to be an informant. I think that that's ultimately what's going to happen with her because nobody really Based on cares. self-preservation. Yeah. Nobody really cares about throwing Hope Hicks in jail. Yeah, of course. There's a lot of ages no one happening ca- right now. No one cares about uh, Papadopoulos. Well, it's not. I'm. We don't. I don't mean to be ageist, but it's she's, not ageist. She's, she's making a joke. Yeah, and she's just not. It's inexperienced. She doesn't have experience. Like she's not. I mean, she's never been in any kind of role where she had to. We're not going to waste any more protocols. time defending the. Listen, fact that she's I don't want to talk about your ageism. Next up, okay. Rob Rosenstein. <laughs> your severe discriminatory attitudes. It's really. Upsetting. You're allowed to be ageist. Okay, which one of you guys people? is going to edit the show? Because we're over an hour now, and we still have several things to cover. Let me control the tempo of the not show. <laughs> my no- my finger is touching my nose, so that means not it also. Rod Rosenstein, as Brittany mentioned, jumping the gun, as she often does. Sorry about that. Did indicate, or it is being reported now, that Donald Trump did ask him in a meeting, are you on my team? It was the day <laughs> before he went to, to testify before Congress and Trump wanted to know, hey, listen, how's this going to go? How is the investigation into me, into the Russia thing? What direction is it heading? And I want to know if you're on my team. And CNN is breaking right now news about a meeting in December between President Trump and the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, the Justice Department official supervising the Mueller probe. Sources say that Rosenstein visited the White House seeking President Trump's support in fighting off document requests from Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee and what Democrats say is an attempt to undermine the FBI and, more broadly, the Mueller investigation. But according to our sources, President Trump was more concerned with other issues, such as Rod Rosenstein's loyalty. CNN's Evan Perez and Pamela Brown join me now. They're breaking this story. And Pamela, the deputy attorney general, went to the White House in December. And then what happened? So this was a meeting in the Oval Office in December between President Trump and Rod Rosenstein. Uh, Don McGahn, White House counsel, was also there, we're told. And at the time, the, the intent of this meeting was Rosenstein asking for the president's help to block document demands from House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes. Uh, but sources familiar with this meeting tell us that the president had other things on his mind ahead of Rosenstein's upcoming testimony before a House committee. You may recall that testimony back uh, last December. The president asked Rosenstein where he thought the investigation of links between Russians and his campaign was headed. And he went on to ask 
whether Rosenstein was, quote, on my team. Now, as a reminder, Rosenstein oversees Mueller's investigation, the Russia investigation. But this is only the latest episode to come to light, portraying a president who often asks questions that sometimes crosses a line that presidents traditionally have tried to avoid when dealing with the Justice Department. But this exchange could raise further questions about whether Trump was seeking to interfere in the investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller, who was looking into potential collusion by the Trump campaign and obstruction of justice by the White House, Jake. That's just shocking. So the president, according to your sources, asked Rosenstein where the Russia investigation was heading mm-hmm. and asked him if he was on his team, asked him for essentially a loyalty oath. Right. Uh, Evan Perez, uh, the former FBI director, James Comey, right. uh, had all, has testified uh, that the president asked him for his loyalty. Did Rosenstein think this was a similar request? Well, right. Uh, we're told that Rosenstein appeared surprised by the president's comments uh, and his questions. He, he didn't provide any details about the direction of the Russia investigation, but he responded awkwardly to the president's team request. He said, quote, of course, we're all in your team, Mr. President. Now, at that December hearing, shortly after this White House meeting that we're talking about, Rosenstein was asked about loyalty pledges. Now, here's what he had to say. Is it ever appropriate for the president of the United States to demand the Department of Justice official or FBI director take a loyalty pledge? I don't have any opinion about that, Congressman. Nobody's asked me to take a loyalty pledge other than the oath of office. So the, you know, at that hearing, Rosenstein was also telling lawmakers that, quote, as long as you're following your oath of office, you can also be faithful to the administration. The Justice Department declined to comment on this, and the White House uh, hasn't gotten back to us, Jake, on this. Uh, we asked him for comment, but clearly, you know, he was uncomfortable with these two types of questions, and you can see where he's struggling to tell lawmakers that he can be both loyal, uh, obviously, to his oath of office while being part of this administration. I don't want to neglect to say and remind everyone that Rod Rosenstein was appointed by Donald Trump, confirmed by the Senate. He was Donald Trump's choice to be the deputy director of the Justice Department, knowing he was going to be heading the investigation because Jeff Sessions had recused himself. This isn't a holdover from the Obama administration. This is Trump's guy. And this is also pivotal because what they're saying right now about this Nunes memo is that they are going to be attacking the credibility and the motives of Rod Rosenstein relative to the Russia investigation. So apparently they believe he's now a liability because he was going to the White House to say, hey, listen, Devin Nunes is crawling up my ass trying to get documents about the investigation for his house committee. And we're resistant because it's, it's inappropriate. They're conducting their own investigation. They're not, they're not entitled to our investigative documents. That didn't go well. Obviously now he's turn. They're turning on him. He's going to be a target. So that's the other thing that's happening right now. Now, this, this memo that it looks like they're going to release today or tomorrow, it might be pushed back because Adam Schiff, la- late last night, 8 p.m. Western Time, said that the memo that was voted on partisan lines to release this four-page summary of up to 100 pages of a FISA request, they are trying to get that released. This four-page secret 
classified memo. They, they've given it to the White House against the recommendation of the Justice Department, against the stern recommendation of the FBI. The Senate hasn't even seen this document. The Senate Intelligence Committee, chaired by a Republican, has not been able to see the memo because they will not give it to them. They voted on partisan lines. All the Republicans voted. There's one more Republican, maybe two more Republicans than Democrats on that committee. They released the memo to the White House. The day they release it, before giving it to the White House, Devin Nunes edits the document. So the document that was released to the White House, excuse me, the, the document that was, that was voted on to release to the White House is different than the document that the White House got. There are material changes, according to Adam Schiff, and this is a big fucking deal. They are saying, if you any way you shake this, whether you talk to Republicans or Democrats, this is based on sources and methods of intelligence gathering. This is based on um, FISA request. So a, a, um, a surveillance where they go to the secret FISA court and, and it's uh, dealing apparently with Carter Page. Mm-hmm. Right. Who the, the FBI suspected, who intelligence officials suspected of being a Russian agent. Right. And the FBI is, is saying that it has grave concerns about this memo getting out. Again, Christopher Ray, Donald Trump's hand-picked choice to be the FBI director. Who is now apparently, according to CNN's reporting, threatening to quit if this memo is released by the White House. He's threatening to quit, and it's concerning White House aides. But in addition to that, Trump has, according to the Washington Post, suggested that once the memo is out, that people will see how the FBI and Robert Mueller are biased against him, against him, and that that is going to give him a reason to get rid of Rod Rosenstein. So that yes. releasing the memo will give him the opportunity to do that in a way that is explained by the memo. The problem is, is this memo is based on sources that unless you have the full context, it's not just the the material omissions that are that are left out of the document, the four-page summary. It is the fact that if you don't have the full picture of everything that's contained within the FISA request that could be 80, 90, 100 pages long, it's going to skew it, especially when the facts are fucking cherry-picked by Devin Nunes, who was on the Trump transition team and who has already been brought before the Ethics Committee and lost his chairmanship for a time because of his colluding, literal colluding with the White House on the unmasking process. And I know Drew wants to get into his Ivy League educated lawyer take on this. But before that, <laughs> um, it's crazy to watch this happen with the White House doing battle with the FBI. It's Nick Sodian. It is terrifying. And yeah. I am so afraid every time I get a breaking news alert of what is going to be happening next. So go ahead, Drew. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> some commentators, uh, legal ethics commentators have suggested that we are seeing a repeat of the Saturday Night Mass. Yeah massacre in mm-hmm. real time mm-hmm. that this is the exact same kind of stuff that precipitated the the explosion of the watergate scandal um so i guess there are two points that i would make uh, number one is just I, I think it's really important to understand the gravity of what it is that nunez is doing by uh, by altering the document before giving it to the white house 
the analogy I used that I post on social media would is that it's similar to if a lawyer and I, we were in trial and opposing counsel and I were fighting over a document about whether or not it was proper to present to a jury. And the judge says, well, I'll go ahead and review it myself and then decide. And then the other lawyer goes ahead and makes changes to the document so it's different than the one we were fighting over and then gives it to the judge without me knowing. Yeah. Uh, I think that kind of behavior, if I were to do that as an attorney, would cause me to get disbarred and possibly prosecuted. Let me let me clarify. I want to pin down on this. Your, your analogy is great, but I think it's even worse than that. I think that it's if the judge, that he approves, he or she, approves the document to be shown to the jury. You... The defense attorney, the prosecutor, all, the lawyers involved, and the judge agree. Okay, we agree. This is it. And then when the other attorney gives it to the to the jury, to the jury, it, it's different than what the judge approved because this document is going to be released by the White House to the American people. It's going to be declassified, and then the millions of unwashed, uneducated idiots who are Trump supporters are going to draw their uneducated conclusions based on. This this piece of, of information, this intelligence that wasn't approved by the House committee. Well, I mean, in my in my version of the analogy, the judge is the White House. Yeah. You know, the opposing counsels are the Democrats and the Republicans on yeah. the committee. And then the jury is the American people. It's ultimately it's the judge that decides whether or not the document gets into evidence. And so it, it's bad but, news. But the judge and the other the opposing counsel who's cheating are on the same team. <laughs> like they're they're working with each other to try yeah, to deceive yeah. the the jury which is it's just crazy um so that's the one point that i, I was going to make that that it's really a big deal and the other point uh, that i wanted to just sort of remind everyone of is that rod rosenstein who seems to be the target of all this is the gatekeeper for firing robert Mueller. Like they need to get him out of the way, I think, if they're going to fire Robert Mueller, because it's it's clear that Trump has tried already to do it, and Don McGahn sort of got in his way and right. and said, you know, no, if you do that, I'm going to resign. But they need they probably need Rod Rosenstein out of the way before they're going to do it, because Rod Rosenstein is probably saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, um, the president cannot does not have the power to fire Mueller directly. He has to do it through the. Person deputy Attorney is, General. Yeah, through the Deputy Attorney General. Um, in normal cases, it would be the Attorney General, but because Jeff Sessions recused himself from this investigation, it has yeah. to be the Deputy Deputy Attorney General. So I think that's the reason of the uh, for this that they need um, pretext to fire Rod Rosenstein, um, so that they can put in a Trump loyalist, and then the Trump loyalist will just go ahead and take marching orders. Well, he's it's being order. reported right now that Donald Trump is saying that they want to release this memo. He's right. telling friends, right? Yeah. In order to get rid of Rod Rosenstein, right. that it will give him that opportunity because yeah. it will show the public, look, public, yeah. the FBI is out to get me. Robert Mueller's out to get me. We need to get rid of Rod Rosenstein because he's complicit in all this. Yeah. yeah. Have, have we talked about slow burn on the show yet? I don't think so. There's a podcast right now. It's out by Slate and it's called Slow Burn. It's like an eight episode series. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Go subscribe. This episode brought to you by Slow Burn. <laughs> go, go go subscribe to Slow Burn. It's like eight episodes about Watergate. And if you're not blown away by the parallels between what is happening relative to the secrecy, relative to the loyalty, relative to the apathy of the American people in, in, in the early on, then you're not paying attention. Right now, we are living in a second Watergate period in American history. 
Donald Trump is unraveling. This administration is unraveling. I have full confidence still that he's going to be taken out, that he's going to end up eventually, I hold to what I said, he's going to be forced to resign or he's going to be impeached and then removed. Yeah, this is this is really is a cataclysmic moment for our democracy. And unlike Watergate, I'm not entirely certain that we're going to come out of this clean uh, the way that we did in Watergate, because back in Watergate, the Republicans actually had some principles and they got on board and they were able to. Eventually. Not early on. Not you got to listen to the show, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> OK, but eventually, eventually they were able to come around and do the right thing because they, they sort of uh, greenlighted the impeachment proceedings. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that's going to happen this time around just because Trump supporters are so crazy right now yeah. about the way that they're thinking about this stuff. Well, unfortunately for them, Robert Mueller is not bound by what's popular opinion. Right. What's, but, what's popular public opinion. But Robert Mueller is not going to be able to, like, Robert Mueller probably can't prosecute Trump. Like, that's, uh, he he's going to have to get Trump impeached first. Yeah. Which is going to require Congress. Well, he's going to have evidence. There will be evidence. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to finish on this. Not finish, finish, but this will be the last topic of the Dalamocracy. The reason that this is becoming such a fevered pitch right now is because every theory that the GOP puts together to try to discredit, to try to discredit the FBI and the investigation in general is fucking falling apart. Remember Peter Strzok Mm -hmm. and Lisa Page, the two FBI agents who were having the affair. The FBI lovers, I think, is what Trump called them. Right, who were were texting all the time. The secret society texts that, Mm. that got taken out of context. Remember, they've been painting this guy as a, a Trump enemy. Yes. He was a he was a, a Hillary Clinton shill. Right. He was working for Hillary Clinton the whole time. Well, that has been debunked, and this is more reason why the Republican Party is losing their goddamn minds, scrambling for other reasons to discredit the investigation. Yeah, emails that we have obtained, Jake, actually show that Peter Strzok actually played a key role in that major decision just days before the 2016 election to send that letter to Congress reopening the Clinton email investigation, upending the Clinton campaign at such a critical moment of the campaign season. Now, these October 27, 2016 emails that we have obtained show that Peter Strzok actually wrote the first draft of that letter, co-wrote it with another colleague, and they sent it to other FBI officials who added some of their suggested changes, and that formed the basis of the letter that Comey sent the next day to Congress announcing the reopening of that investigation. Now, uh, we are also told separately by a source familiar with the matter that uh, Strzok was supportive of reopening this investigation uh, after it was found that some of these emails were on the laptop of that disgraced former congressman. Anthony Weiner. Now, Jake, this is significant because Strzok has been accused by Republicans of being uh, biased by because of these text messages that, that uh, Congress has obtained sh- with between him and that FBI lawyer Lisa Page saying that these two people were uh, unfair to President then candidate Trump, given some of the sharp messages they exchanged about then candidate Trump. But clearly he was involved in another key matter about this letter. And that letter, as you know, Hillary Clinton blamed for costing her the presidency, Jake. But, Laura, you also have some information about private reservations that Strzok had about making the the letter public? That's right. I spoke to a source that's familiar with Strzok's thinking on it, and he, you know, they put it this way. 
On the one hand, Strzok certainly wants to pursue the Clinton email investigation, quote, aggressively, especially after the Wiener laptop was discovered. Strzok felt like we have to see where this goes. But at the same time, both he and FBI lawyer Lisa Page, you can see in the text messages that they have some apprehension of about exactly how Comey is doing this so publicly and making public announcements just days before that presidential election in one of the text message exchanges. Um, it, you see that Page is saying things like, we're not sure we should go public with this. Uh, and Strzok actually agrees with her. And that's on the same day that Comey actually sent yet another public letter to Congress closing the Clinton investigation on November 6th, just two days before the election, Jake. So this is one one more thing that is falling apart for the Republican Party relative to discrediting the investigation. That this guy who they pinned all of their hopes on to discredit as as a as a, a Clinton loyalist. Right. What did he do? He took great pains to reopen the investigation into Hillary Clinton. Wrote the first draft. The first draft of that memo. And it sounds actually like he's a more reasonable character than Comey certainly was in the beginning because he wanted to keep this secret. He didn't want it to be a public thing that might influence the election that they were in the middle of. So... I mean, he's a dum-dum because he was having an affair and texting a lot on his FBI phone with... He was texting... Like a teenage amount, a ridiculous <laughs> amount of texts, thousands and thousands of text messages. Yeah. Well, he was excited about his affair. <laughs> <laughs> so that is where we are. Who knows what broke while we were recording the show, because it is a fever pitch. It is a breakneck pace that the that the news is coming out right now. Yeah. Breakneck. Breakneck. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. So let's uh, let's wrap taking care of biz casey hunt casey hunt yes casey hunt of nbc news now this is this is delayed right this is from 2015 and um it it's kind of old but i i saw this on twitter and it was hilarious it was fantastic maybe the most important taking care of biz we've done because she's earned her it's not timely it's not it's not uh right not not recent this is an exchange we're gonna play it for you this is an exchange that i want to see more often from those in the news media this is donald trump being interviewed in 2015 just prior to announcing his run for President of the United States, right. being asked a very simple, pointed question. You say you're considering running for president again. What's your favorite county in Iowa? Well, my favorite county in Iowa, and, and I'm not going to get into that because this is not a history class, but my favorite, one of my favorite places is Iowa itself. Uh, and Iowa is great because the people are great. The people are workers. They're wonderful people. And they like me and I like them. There are 99 counties in Iowa. Doesn't matter. You can't I'm, name not, one? I'm not doing the history All thing. It's not a question of naming. I can name many more than one, but I'm not Such doing as? history. I'm not doing history. <laughs> things. Like who is the president of, who is the president? president of a certain country we don't do that he sounds like bill cosby no no <laughs> we don't answer that no we don't do that here yeah i could name more than one but it's not about that it's not about naming i mean it would take me just a couple of seconds to name several but i'm not all about that right now can it's- i ruin everybody's day that dick face got elected president of the united <laughs> states it, it, it reminds me of when i was a 
a, a schoolboy. Mm-hmm. And oh. I would, I would, Drew, you were a schoolboy. Yeah, <laughs> once upon a time, you know, way before the old Ivy League education. <laughs> oh, perfect. And, you know, uh, people would ask you a question and you'd say, well, I know the answer, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. It's, yes. I mean, it's amazing that a 70-year-old man, I, I assume he was seven, 69 maybe, yeah, yeah, that's right. at, at the time that he did that, is still employing these tactics of trying to prove his knowledge to people it's right just, it's for me it's not employing the tactic or try, it's it's not utilizing it it's thinking it's gonna work but maybe he's smarter than all of us because that shit <laughs> he got, worked he got elected all right i guess we have one more we do all right just all day long yes it's the asshole of today matt walsh Matt, w- listen, every asshole of today segment we do could be Matt Walsh. Okay, I saw this. Everyone we do, I always say, oh, yeah, they could be asshole of the day every day. Okay. Matt Walsh really That's true. could be every That's day. That's true, but I, I picked this one for Drew, okay? Christian blogger uh, Matt yeah. Walsh. Yes, Christian mm. blogger Matt yes. Walsh, and he tweeted this today. Oh, my God. So it's, this is a late-breaking asshole of today. Yeah, but this is going to be relevant for Drew, so Drew, pay attention. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing to see all the Christians who think so nothing amazing. who think nothing of going to a yoga class. There are many excellent ways to get in shape that do not involve participating in Hindu worship. I wonder how everyone here would respond if someone came up with a workout routine based around Muslim worship practices and then a bunch of Christians flocked to participate. The best comparison for yoga would be the Ouija board. Yes, you can play it just for fun without any ill intent, but you are still participating in something that was designed to conjure spirits. Better to just play Monopoly or something. Why mess around with it? God damn. Do you see what you're doing, Drew, with your yoga? <laughs> uh, so for those of you that don't know, I'm I'm a yoga instructor in addition to being, you know, all these other things that yes. we talk about. Yes. Um It's like a Ouija board what you're doing. Well, you're conjuring what's, the spirits. What's clear to me is that Matt Walsh has never been to a yoga class. <laughs> also, can we even, I, look, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but there's no such thing as fucking spirits. Get out of here with the spirits. There's no spirits, Matt Walsh. I mean, even if you go to and the... Doing mo- yoga is... Sorry, being, doing yoga is not like a Ouija board because one is fake. One is real. You can go actually get benefit from yoga. <laughs> well, so, you know, the type of yoga that I do is, is very physical. Uh, very, hardly any discussion of the yoga philosophy at all. But even if you go to the most, like, hippy-dippy least physical, most philosophical yoga classes, you're not going to get discussion about like Hindu deities. So amazing. It's it's astounding. Like the ignorance of that post is astounding to me. That's what Do, he does. Are you familiar with Matt Walsh? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know who this guy is. Uh, he is the worst. In, in, listen, we're going we're gonna to end it here, but I'll end it with this. In the Statesmith Studios, we are printing photos with quotes from both very inspirational historical figures. Yeah. Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln. Um, Malala Yousafzai. Yeah, M- Malala Yousafzai. Some awesome ones. And then also, the worst horrible shit we could find from people like Tommy Laren and Ben Shapiro. And I think Matt Walsh probably just made the list. Oh, yeah. perfect. Not yeah. the yoga comment, because there's many more. No, I want one with the yoga comment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be over by go your my, desk. Go in my corner, yeah. <laughs> All right. Like I said before, listen, go like Statesmith on Facebook. Go follow Statesmith News on Twitter. And don't worry. I Doubt It with Dollamore podcast is not going away. 
We're always going to be here for you. In fact, I would say this more now, now more than ever, more now than ever, now more than more now, <laughs> more now, go tell now. a friend about the show. If, if you're not, if you're not ready to support the show on Patreon uh, or ready to buy some, some really quality crap on Amazon or buy a t-shirt, tell a friend, go review the show on iTunes. We appreciate your support. We love you guys. And we will see you next time for Brittany Page, Drew Levine. Hello. I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Megan Kelly is not a dummy, right? She's, you know, she's a lawyer. She went to law school. She is. Hence, she's not a dummy. Yeah. Yeah. No, come on.